Hey, what's up, everybody? This week, I'm talking with Dr. Aaron Hines from the University of Kentucky about his work teaching audio engineering and as a professional tubist. And for anybody who went to Bowling Green State University in the mid-2000s to late-2000s, you will agree that this week's episode is Falcon Awesome. This is episode 69 of Untenured Treks. I'm lecturer, music business, and new media is my fancy title, but really a part of what I, I do a lot of different things, primarily associated with audio engineering, the fields of commercial music, um, and, and the, just the music. I think of it as more the music business as opposed to music business is, is what I try to teach. And I'll, I'll talk later about my, why I, I make a distinction there. Um, but, um, but yeah. I have kind of a weird background. I, I, as a practicing musician, my instrument is actually the tuba, and that's what I have my degrees in. Uh, my my bachelor's is a general music degree, and then I have master's and doctorate in tuba performance. And my doctorate in, in particular was in um, contemporary music from Bowling Green State University in Ohio. Um, I went there too. Hey, yeah, <laughs> I did my PhD. BGSU. There. So we're we're doctoral buddies from BGSU. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> um, so yeah, so I did, I was, it's a relatively new program, 2006, I want to say. Mm-hmm. And, um, so that, that is my emphasis as a performer is contemporary music. So avant-garde experimental and I'm a tuba player. So it's, I'm, I'm doubly weird in that way. I'm avant-garde experimental tuba player. <laughs> um, and so in that, in terms of that, I'm actually in the process of preparing kind of a, a series of, um, solo albums. Um, the first one is going to be actually a compilation of live recordings, which will come out sometime in June. I haven't decided. Um, I'm deciding to release self, self publish it and I'm, I'm, uh, incorporating as a, um, as a, a record label called Breathing Machine Records. Um, A, because I think that is a very good, good, uh, uh, a name for a record label that's probably just going to be me my own tuba records mm-hmm. um and b because i i i wrote a piece that'll be on this album um several years ago called breathing machine that was kind of the first piece that i i wrote myself because i'm also a composer where i felt really comfortable and and it felt like it was my voice mm-hmm. um but um but yeah that's the first project i'm doing this summer is is releasing an album of of solo uh, live stuff i'm only going to print 100 cd's because um uh not many people are going to buy it and that's okay um uh you know i'm making it because i want some people some people out there will listen to it that never have and that will make me happy and i think that's good for the the music community <clears throat> we will uh if you want we can we can delay the release of this to line up with your uh, with your album release, and I haven't figured out a date yet, so don't, don't worry about it. In your tracks bump. <laughs> well, one of the uh, one of the um, one of the tracks is already going. I think is going to be on Cleveland Classical Radio soon. Oh, nice! Because the, it's from a, a composer who's professor emeritus at Kent State mm-hmm. around uh, uh, Cleveland. 
Cleveland, greater Cleveland area. And so I was like, it's not, I've played these things before live. So (laughs) it's not as big of a deal. Um, but yeah, that's going to lead into, I've recorded a handful of things for these other thing, uh, these other CD projects. Um, it's a series that I'm calling new music for tuba and it's going to be by volume. So this first one's volume one. The title is Berserker, which is the name of one of the pieces on there. And that piece is actually written by um, one of my very best friends, the guy who was my best man at my wedding, uh, Hong Da Chin, who teaches composition at Western Illinois University, a brilliant composer. The second CD is going to be called Colossus, again, after a piece in that, uh, on that um, um, CD. And then I haven't thought of the name for the third one yet. Um, so that's, that's kind of where I'm going with that, that side of me as a musician. What I actually teach and what I, I, I tend to do day to day is the world of audio engineering. Um, and, um, in terms of projects, things that I'm doing right now, a lot of them have to do with the way that I teach audio engineering as opposed to what I'm doing with audio engineering. I am going to record again a, a, to, a solo tuba of CD of, um, another good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Daniel Rowland up at, uh, um, University of Wisconsin Platteville. Um, I'm doing, but that's next, next spring. And most people aren't recording CDs right now because the most people aren't doing music stuff, period. Although we're getting back to a, a, a better world with that. Um, but I, uh, as far as what I like to, what I'm kind of thinking of, of doing as a project for audio engineering is just kind of a, a, a general evolution of how I teach. And, and the reason why that A is important to me, but also is important to my job is I actually was hired. I, I, my position is a new position. Um, so I'm originating all of the classes that I teach. They've changed. They've, they've evolved and they've, they've gone through different iterations. And so the, um, the biggest thing I would say is, um, I have this idea and this is actually one of those, uh, I usually don't have Thunderbolt ideas. Um, they usually tend to evolve and grow, but I did have a kind of a Thunderbolt idea during this semester that helped me kind of, uh, conceptualize how I teach, how I can, how I can teach specifically audio mixing, multi-track mixing, which is when you, take multiple tracks of a performance and mix them together. And it actually is a visual analogy and it has to do with um, when you're, cause I'm also, I, I love photography. I'm not a good photographer, but I like doing it. And my, my dad um, is what well, was, and it is does still does it as, as trained as a fine arts photographer. So a lot of what he learned has filtered through to me through osmosis. And um, in photography, you know, we often, they often talk about, um, have photos, good photographs having a foreground, middle ground, and background. Mm-hmm. And um, so I was just kind of reading, uh, it was like an article about photogra- about Ansel Adams, who's a um, famous uh, uh, landscape photographer. And they talked about that. And I, I kind of had this thunderbolt where I thought, you know, that's a great analogy to talk about um, audio mixing. One of the problems that you hear with student mixes um and just bad, not bad. I, I don't like negative terms with insufficiently formed mixes. Let's say that, um, is that, um, there's not, there's no depth and depth can come in many flavors. They can come with, um, in terms of placement of the instruments in the stereo field, all of the way you layer these instruments, all these different things. And so I thought, you know, that's a great analogy to kind of seize on. So right now I'm kind of, taking notes and formulating possible like um, 
class exercises on on how to run with this visual analogy because in my experience visual analogies tend to be easier to grasp for students than the thing we're actually learning which is audio because we see we see and comprehend things um in multiple dimensions every day but our ears just can't a lot we we tend to hear things a lot we don't tend to listen as much Mm -hmm. um so I, i find that visual analogies can really help and it just gets students out of their rut so that's the big thing i'm really working on right now i'm also just developing my curriculum um we have an initiative here at the university of kentucky where um all of the undergrads are getting issued uh, ipads and so we're trying to find ways to um incorporate those in a much more meaningful way to our our curriculum Mm -hmm. and um there are audio recording programs on ipad that are really quite amazing especially compared to where they used to be so that that's another thing is incorporating um ipad technology into the class because at the end of the day it's just a a leveler it makes it so you know the person with the really junky laptop that's all they could afford um Mm -hmm. instead if we just go to the ipad that everybody has the same model it's going to make things much more equitable yeah um which so that that's kind of that's in a nutshell a, my one side of my brain that is playing the tuba and making weird noises. That's where I'm going with that. <laughs> and then the other side is much more focused on my, my pedagogical concerns. I think you landed on the title for this, for this interview, playing the tuba and making weird noises. <laughs> that, that would be great. Cause I mean, that's my, my tuba personality. Like I think of it is, uh, well, it's all the same. It's just me, but, um, I I like doing that, and I mean that's not what I do for a living. Partly because nobody would pay me to do that for a living, and that's okay. I'm okay with that. I'm still going to make weird sounds, but I also like uh, I'm I'm also like I love audio engineering in all in all forms, and I love teaching. So hey, I'll do that for a living, and then on the side, on on my weekend gig, I'll put I'm putting air quotes uh, around that. Um, I'll play make weird sounds with a metal tube. I have to. I have to say too the the uh, the track names for your album are pretty metal. I, I don't yeah. know that people would expect that from a, a tuba. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but what got you interested in the tuba to begin with? So I, I like a lot of people that were interested in music. Um, I I started in fifth grade. I wanted to be a percussionist, so I took two years of piano lessons, which were torturous. The piano teacher was great. I was just a bad student. Um, but uh I so I took two years of piano lessons and then I went to the day where that you get to pick the you get to play all the instruments and they they um decide what you're gonna do. And uh my at that time my the brother right above me was um in high school and I was or he was getting into high school and I was in fifth grade and one of his high school friends was a trombone player um named John Lofton. We called him Big John. And Big John looked over here looked over me and says, Hey, little Heinz, get over here. And so I went over and he said, play this. And he gave me his bass trombone, which is a, a larger version of the trombone that is, does more with the low range. And I played it and got a pretty good sound. He, he just looked at me and said, you're going to be a trombone player. Mm-hmm. So I was a trombone player. I was a mediocre trombone player. And what do you do with mediocre trombonists? You put them on the bottom part. But then I started to get better playing the lower notes. So uh, my bro- again, my old the brother right above me was a really good tuba player in high school. So they tried me out on it. I was better in one week on the tuba in seventh grade, this was, than in the previous two years of trombone study. Mm. And I just rocketed from there. Um, 
by the end of my eighth grade year, I knew I wanted to be a musician. Um, I was lucky enough to go to a, a quite poor public school district that happened to have a really good music program. Yeah. Uh, I, two, two band directors who I'll, I'll never be able to thank enough were Jim, Mr. Jim Colbertson, Mr. Steve Shepard. And I also studied with the local professor, a tuba euphonium professor, whose name is, um, Dr. Sharon Huff, who's one of the most important musical influences on my life. Um, and yeah, I, I, all along, I've just been lucky to have great teachers. Um, and, and so I just got into it and I, I got into contemporary music is what we call it mm-hmm. in high school. I was the weird high schooler who was listening to Primus and John Cage <laughs> and Harry Parch and Tom Waits, who's one of my number one favorite musicians of all time, still to this day. Um, and so that, yeah, it, it all just kind of, it's all just kind of snowballed from mm-hmm. that. Uh, weird chubby trombone player who was good at low notes. <laughs> so I, one of the things that I love about this about this gig that I have is that I never know what I'm going to talk about with people, even mm-hmm. just like with a baseline. Like I read your Twitter profile, basically, and yeah. what we DM'd about. I did not expect like to talk about Primus today. Which yeah, is <laughs> so cool. Um, and and uh, this is probably going to go down as Mark's favorite episode, and I, I'm pretty sure that you sold. I hope so. Your CD, <laughs> the two of us. I'll save one aside for him. <laughs> um, so you had you had mentioned before that you differentiate between the music business and music business. Um, could you could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So that's the. At its essence, that is something that I, I tend, it's a framework I tend to use for myself in my own thinking, but I try to differentiate between that because very often I think, you know, music business is, when I think music business, I think all of the thousands of, you know, YouTube channels of people saying, do this one thing to make $5 million a year, which often leave out all of the steps that they never tell you about such as like, Oh, just so you know, my dad is a film producer in Hollywood and he gave me, <laughs> he gave me 4.9 million of that 5 million to start with <laughs> and just things like that. And so the, uh, when I think music business, capital M, capital B, that's what, uh, sometimes I think of that, even though it's a bad, it's a bad way to think about it. Whereas the music business, I think encompasses the total, the totality of what it is to be a musician, mm-hmm. which right now, um, you know, to give an example, I think if you want to be successful in the music business as opposed to capital M, capital B music business, you need to what? You need to be able to record stuff onto your computer. You need to be able to stream, do live streams. You need to be able to diversify in terms of, you know, merchandising and things like that. And you need to be able to do all these different, you know, internet connected things. Um, and so I, I, I like to think of it in those two, those two categories. Cause I, I don't like teaching capital M, capital B music business because that tends to be feel not to be sociopolitical. It tends to feel very capitalist, um, which we are very capitalist as musicians. We sell our craft, but it's, it's very, it can be kind of icky to me. Whereas the music business, I like to, I like to approach, tell students and teach students about what is the field like now and going forward. Um, how do you need to adapt to that if you want to make a living in this? And it also encompasses such, um, you know, super fun topics as will you be able to make a full time living just being a musician? Um, which also, I, I am always quick, whenever I have that conversation with students, I'm always quick to add, 
do you need to make a full-time living in music to be a good musician? And the, obviously the answer is that is not at all. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that, that's where I kind of come from in my thinking is, um, uh, the way I, where I, I say, I like to teach the music business, um, uh, in my job here. Yeah. So in a, in a previous episode, uh, of this podcast, we, we spoke with, um, a guy who studies how exploitative the music mm-hmm. is. Um, and his work was focusing on, uh, shows like American Idol. Yeah. Um, do you want me asking who that is? Uh, David Ardetti. I might okay. be mispronouncing his name. Mark, we are going to go through it. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm terrible with names. It's, me too. It's gotten worse <laughs> in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Pandemic brain has, has fried that. So David, I apologize if I pronounced your name wrong. Um, it came out, I think in December, he just had a book and the second book come out, um, on streaming culture. Yeah. But. Yeah. Which I was going to, <clears throat> I was going to listen to some of your podcasts uh, this last week to prepare. Um, I also, but on top of that, uh, I've been extremely busy with work. Also, um, I closed on a house yesterday. So I'm a little, my mind's a little elsewhere. Um, although it's, it's much more focused right now that the, it's, the process <laughs> is actually done. Yeah. Um, so oh, yeah. no closing stresses. No, mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't fault you at all. Yeah. There is no expectation of any, of any prep work for this. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. I am, I am also a screenwriter. I am mm-hmm. in the process of finishing up an MFA and uh, hearing like what you're talking about with the music business is very similar to what happens in like screenwriting circles, right? With mm-hmm. people are, are so desperate um, to get into a, a writing room somewhere. Um, and there are so many like screenwriting competitions that are borderline predatory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Exactly with the music world. Um, and uh, I was, I attended a, a summit, a writing summit a couple of weeks ago. And like one of the, one of the biggest questions folks had was like, how do I, how do I get in? Like, how do I, how do I get a manager or an agent or, or how do I get my stuff produced or whatever? And the answer consistently, and it was funny, like, like following the chat alongside the presentations, because I mean, it was, you know, character and story and hard work and luck and um, network a lot and mm-hmm. uh, basically talk to people and then seeing the chat blow up with people who are like, but I don't want to talk to people. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, you're not going to like, you have to work on not being weird. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so funny you say that. I I still think back to there was a guest talk at a conference, and the person that was the guest artist talking was actually a friend of mine who was in my doctoral program at BGSU. Elise Roy, fantastic um, flautist and um, composer, lives lives out in LA now. And um, somebody asked her because she was talking about that same exact thing, you know, networking and all that. And um, they asked her, they, somebody raised their hand and asked them, what if you really are awkward around other people, you know, very socially awkward. And I, I really admire the fact that she just said, I, I'm just, I'm sorry that you, you just have to get over it. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that, that probably wasn't easy for him to hear, but that is a fact of life yeah. or of this life of, yeah. of the, the arts life mm-hmm. is, um, and I mean, you're, you don't, you can still be socially awkward. Just, learn and develop ways to you know work around it because <laughs> i'm not socially comfortable comfortable all the time mm-hmm. um but i i learned how to make it better yeah you no know, if you would have told me uh way back when i started this that 
Uh, number one, I would be teaching at a university that requires me to do a, a four four um, mm-hmm. with some with occasional classes over like summer and, and between sessions, and then have yeah. a podcast and do like all this conference public stuff that I do. Like, mm-hmm. I would have laughed and laughed and laughed. Like, there's mm-hmm. no way that's going to be my life. I'm going to hide out in the basement in the computer lab. <laughs> and, yeah. And teach one class a year mm-hmm. <laughs> if I have to. <laughs> and then, yeah. And then uh, things changed. And so, yeah, you have to, you learn how to recognize your weirdness and to mm-hmm. shove it away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's, there's plenty of weird people in the music industry. Oh, but sure. You just have to learn how to not be weird in an offensive way, <laughs> <laughs> which is, is completely doable. Again, I'm a weird guy, but I, I, I learned how to not be offensively weird and even even more so these days you know it's more just um don't mistreat other people you can be weird but but if you don't if you treat other people well then you're gonna you're gonna do fine yeah i i think i I, you know and i wonder this about just college in general right like just beyond our silos i Mm -hmm. i wonder how much I mean, it's going to be so interesting when people come up for air after whenever the pandemic is over or whatever yeah. the next phase is and, and say like, well, what did we learn during those mm. 14 plus months? And yeah. how far did, did you get being cruel to your students? <laughs> how, yes. how much yeah. worse did you make things for them? And, and is that why they transferred away or, cha- mm. or changed majors even? Because yeah. you still had to use your asynchronous classroom or whatever as a bully pulpit like yeah like, literally do that mm-hmm. kind of stuff and, and just across the board i think it's really fascinating but yeah uh being a being a decent person goes mm-hmm. a, a really long way um because people are going to remember too when you're not like mm-hmm. that word gets around in yeah. academia and, and i'm sure in music business and oh yeah it's <clears throat> connections are our currency in the music in the music world and that that's i mean i in my when i talk to students i i always try to when we talk about the subject i try to mention you need it's really important to learn how to network like a human being um because in the music world i mean and then screenwriting any sort of artistic pursuit and um and academia as well mm-hmm. you have to network and yep. everybody knows that you're not going to offend somebody by trying to network you're going to offend somebody if you try to network in a way that's nakedly opportunistic yes and you see that like i'm i'm sure whatever and the professional conferences that you go to and the ones i go to you can spot the people that are doing it just like cozying up to the the famous people in your field and trying to to get that in and um at least in my field in my tuba field which is a problematic this this aspect is problematic in and of itself but and in the tuba world, um, as long as you just like have a beer with somebody, you'll you'll be good. <laughs> go, go say hi to them at the bar, and yeah. uh, and you'll be fine. Don't try to make it some big thing where you you're 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 trying to catch you're trying to be like you're trying to catch connections like you're um, playing Pokemon. <laughs> that was yeah. that 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 analogy did not land, but it's okay. I liked it. <laughs> no, it works. It landed. Maybe just maybe not. Not in the airfield you're looking for. No, <laughs> no. I mean, but I like you see this sort of uh, ruthless type of behavior on social media all the time too. Mm-hmm. Like especially when people 
people interacting with celebrities. You know, somebody goes on to say that, you know, they just lost a parent or something, something tragic has happened to them. And then their replies are like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. My dad died. And will you read my screenplay? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, like, like think about what you're doing. Mm. If somebody did this to you, would you like your reaction is going to be that's what I need in my time of grief and sorrow yeah. is to mm. read some random person's screenplay. It could be a screenplay about their uh, their parent dying and maybe yeah. it'll help them through. No, I don't know. <laughs> probably, not. <laughs> probably, probably not. Yeah. Um. So you had we we had started off by talking about like uh, the podcast assignment uh, mm-hmm. and like the the commonality that we have there, um, and the ways that your students um, react to that. What sorts of myths do your students come into? Like, are there myths that students come into like audio engineering and, and sound production uh, with? A- absolutely, uh, I'm, I know. Um, uh, one of the big ones is 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 a major thing that I'm I worked I try and work to dispel at all at all stages, which is people just look maybe they they saw a video once of somebody mixing a song and they think oh that's really complicated I could never do that mm-hmm. that's the big one and uh, I mean there's a reason why my introductory class has no prerequisites and it's open to everybody in the entire university mm-hmm. um, that's by choice because. Um, I think anybody that's willing to put in the work can at least get a good understanding of how audio engineering works. Will they become a, um, million, millionaire, you know, hotshot mixer? Maybe, but probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, because that relies on a whole lot of other things beyond just being able to mix music well. Uh, but that doesn't matter because, I being able to, you know, maybe record that song idea you have or, um, you know, mix your buddy's demo or do stuff like that. It can be just really reward rewarding. And it's a rewarding thing that more people can do than, than they often think, if that makes sense. Like people, th- yeah, they just think it's too complicated. So, you know, of course I can't do that. That's nonsense. Um, in fact, you know, some of the best students I've had, I've had great students, I've had some amazing students and I'm, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be at a, at a, a sizable school so that I tend to get people from across, you know, the entire spectrum. Like last year, I had a student who was a, um, scholarship, I believe, shot putter for the field team, track and field team, who also produced his own beats. And uh, there's a big YouTube uh, DJ named Kenny Beats who has like a weekly competition. That's a you know pretty big deal in that world. And my student won it one week wow. and got like some prizes and all this stuff. And and nice. um and so yeah, that was the champion shot or the uh, I, I hopefully a champion. I hope he is. <laughs> but that was our scholarship shot putter that just took my class because he likes audio. Actually, took two of my classes. Nice. Um and so yeah, it's that's the biggest one. Um, I think the other one is just um. You need to have a ton of money to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, again, that's why I'm I'm th- I'm 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 exploring the idea of just using an iPad, which iPads aren't cheap, but the students here are getting them um, yeah. for free. Um, so that takes away that cost barrier. But yeah, the that's the one of the biggest myths in, in the audio world. Period. Not just uh, amongst the students I see here is that well, you need to have the three thousand dollar Neumann U eighty seven. Um, those are great microphones. Don't get me wrong, but um, I, I you know, to kind of 
put it in perspective, you know, I'm every, every class I talk about, I make sure and, and demonstrate, show them some albums that I know were recorded on cheap equipment. Like, um, uh, Sue John Stevens's first album, Michigan was largely recorded with a pair of the microphone I'm te- speaking into right now, which is a mm-hmm. sure SM58, 99 bucks new. You could find the used one for probably 60 bucks. Um, and the music was great. And the technique was pretty good, not great, but okay. Then, then, then you know, the magic happened with they sent it to a mastering engineer and so on and so forth. Um, but at that base level, you don't need a ton of money to make, to capture and create good music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that's a major thing that I, I want. I, I try to find ways to demonstrate that for them that, um, affordable doesn't mean bad. Yeah. So, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it, it sounds like one of the things that you are, are maybe as like a core part of your teaching philosophy and probably definitely like a core in your classes is that, um, like you said, yeah, you can become a multimillionaire doing this, but probably not. So that means that, you know, we're learning about just the inherent value in yes. creating, like creating art for art's sake. <clears throat> Exactly. I mean, and that, I mean, part of that comes from my background as a, as a practicing musician, which is I play stuff that is fairly obscure and, and very experimental and not everybody's going to like, but I have a whole lot of fun doing it. And when I can, the people that I do connect with, it's, it's a great feeling, a fantastic feeling. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I try to teach so that they take away something that they can use to just enrich their lives. Mm-hmm. And again, that's why my intro intro class has no prerequisites. I I basically say as a prerequisite needs to be somewhat handy with a computing device. <laughs> I mean, especially now that I'm I'm trying to go towards using the iPad. You don't even yeah. need to have a computer. Yeah. Um, which you know my that's a big part of you know Kentucky is a very poor state. Mm-hmm. Uh, Commonwealth, sorry, I'll offend the lifelong Kentuckians. It's a very poor Commonwealth, and. Even though we're the flagship university for the Commonwealth of Kentucky, um, but um, a, a pretty sizable portion of our our students come from households that are at or below the poverty line, mm-hmm. um, and so am I going to shut them out because I need my students to buy a five hundred dollar microphone? Of course not. Why would I do that? Um, and especially because of the fact that if you've ever been, if, ever, if, you, if anybody ever goes around this part of the, the country, there's just so much music inherent in the people here around yeah. here. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're in the literal bluegrass, uh, uh, part of the state and there's just so much great music from, you know, the mechanic down the road who plays yeah. fiddle in this, in his spare time. Yeah. Um, so that, that's, that's a big part of it too, but really it's just, um, they're not learning audio engineering. I mean, my classes are electives. They're not learning audio engineering and about the music business to get their degree. Although someday I'd like, I'm, I'm someday in the future, I'd like to have some sort of degree, but that's a long ways away as I'm sure you are. You and most of your listeners are aware of that whole, <laughs> that whole deal. But um, yeah. no, they're learning it because they're interested and they want to make music. Mm-hmm. And that that's the goal. So how hard is it to get them or at least the students who who maybe are skeptical of the idea of just art for art's sake like what is that what is that journey like for them and what's it like for you trying to like make those breakthroughs it's the for most students it's actually not that hard because again they're coming from a position of i've always just done this for fun 
Mm-hmm. And so for those students, it's not that hard. The, the place where it can be a little trickier are people who do want to do it because they enjoy it, but also have that, that I, other idea of like, well, I want to make this my living. Um, you can do that, certainly. Um, but increasingly, with every year that passes, um, it's going to be less about being good at one thing and more about being good at many things that are in many going being good at the whole constellation of skills that is audio engineering because yeah. uh it's not just um oh i'm just going to make hit records <laughs> probably not but you're going to i mean if you enjoy audio engineering and you're you're recording a bad album you're still going to have some fun because you're <laughs> you're audio engineering and if not if you don't have fun actually engineering it maybe that'll be the job the the part of the job that you do there where the fun is the paycheck you get at the end of the day <laughs> um but yeah so that that's where things get tricky and it, it's uh, for that it's it usually is a process of just kind of talking to them about you know there are some really good statistics out there that talk about the likelihood of getting these types of jobs um I, I've been you again. Another thing that comes from my tuba background: um, there are no tuba jobs. <laughs> <laughs> there are an ever dwindling number every single year, and so um, I mean that's that's part of what inspired me to get into the audio world, um, get back into it really, because I've been doing audio stuff since I was in high school. I mean, when I was a freshman in high school, I used a um, hopefully they don't uh, get mad at me a cracked copy of Cubase SX3. Um, and I, uh, recorded some sounds of a broken organ in the basement of the church that I, uh, my, I, my family went to, and then I manipulated those into an, like, electroacoustic ambient little thing and called it my first album, <laughs> um, which I wish I still had. Uh, that's a big thing. I can tell everybody, save everything. Yeah. I also tell my students that save everything. Cause someday you're going to want to go, man, I, I wish I would, I'd like to hear that terrible rap I did in my sophomore year <laughs> and you're going to treasure it. Yeah. But, save it in multiple places. Mm-hmm. Right. Not just your, your Google drive or, or wherever. Yeah. That's on a, that's on a hard drive on my parents' old computer in a, um, somewhere in a landfill, um, in, uh, in central Illinois. <laughs> so not, not completely lost. <laughs> No, I could theoretically find it. One day, mm-hmm. one day, archaeologists will marvel. And they'll go, man, this kid did not know how to use EQ. <laughs> Was this cracked? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so one of the things that I want to do more on, on this podcast um, is, is have folks talk about like what what the public should should know or take away or understand about your work. And like, we've mm-hmm. talked about that a, a little bit, right? Like yeah. value of art for art's sake and, and all of, all of that. Right. But um, as you kind of walk these parallel lines, um, but really like having feet in two different worlds between being a professional musician and making your own, your own work. Um, um, and then also teaching and teaching audio engineering like what what do you want people out in the public if somebody just stumbled upon this um with whatever mm-hmm. whatever goofy title we give it <laughs> yeah like what would you want them to know well 
there's two things, and I've been kind of running this in the background processing part of my brain during this uh, podcast or while we're talking. Um, there's two things that I'd really like for people to know. Um, first is that um, this is, in a weird way, kind of something aimed at the parents of students going into college, but just people in general, which is um, there is value in getting an education in the arts. Yes. Um, and uh, there is value in that, even if they don't do it for a living, because we don't want to, we shouldn't tie people to just doing what will make them lots of money. Mm-hmm. It's an unhealthy relationship of, with money, with our livelihoods, and it's just unrealistic. And um, if nothing else, um, at least in my field, you know, we, we often tout the fact that, you know, music education is an education in learning how to be good with time be good with um, networking with other people, working with other people and um, being good with information. Um, So, but it's not just about, you know, stuff that music, it's not commodifying music in that sense, but it's, it's worthwhile to get a, a a education in the arts because um, we need more, we need more artists and musicians out there. Which is the second point I want to make, which is, I think, hopefully, especially after this pandemic, people realize, oh, man, we need artists. Because uh, what, what were we all doing this last year? We were listening yeah. to music. We were watching Netflix. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were consuming media and art at a record pace. Yeah. And yeah. so hopefully, well, not only people, real, hopefully people realize we need the arts. And the second one is, we need to pay the arts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. something that I'll direct to Mr. Biden up in the white, president Biden up in the white house yeah. is, uh, and everybody else in Congress. Uh, if you can do one thing good, well, there's many other things ahead of the list <laughs> of good, doing good things. But when you get through the things that you should be doing, um, throw in some money for the arts. Yeah. Find ways to support independent artists across yes. the board. Right. I mean, not just the folks who are getting their stuff streamed or who are writing yeah. music for streaming stuff on, on mm-hmm. big platforms, but uh, finding folks who are just doing, putting small stuff out into the world just to yeah. have it out there. And like, that's really cool and really gutsy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, I got to go to a couple of film festivals that I never would have been able to do. I got to go to them mm-hmm. early, um, and they were like, probably two of the best weekends of my life yeah. <laughs> just sitting at home um, talking to people who were also like watching these movies and mm-hmm. um, like all the short films I watched. It was really, really incredible. Like I'm, I'm really hoping that the next, yeah, hopefully it's next month. It should be online again. There, there's one thing that I, I remember from early on that I hope uh, in the pandemic that I, I hope stays because I, I actually really love the big, like live quote unquote live shows that bands are doing. Mm-hmm. They're really well, you know, a lot of them are really well produced. They just had a, there was just a three week run with the Decemberists mm-hmm. that did uh, like a 20th anniversary sh- uh, series of shows. Um, John Donier, John Darniel of the Mountain Goats, who's one of my absolute favorite musicians, period. Um, he's been doing some fantastic shows inside a studio, which I like A, because I like his music and B, because I'm a recording nerd and I love looking at how th- those sessions were recorded and analyzing them. But, um, so those I hope continue as well, but it's only the big bands are going to be able to do that. The thing that I equally hope continues, which is continuing in places like Twitch and Bandcamp Live and all these other places, there are just the people just like playing from their bedrooms. 
Mm-hmm. Um, this is another big musician who could afford to get, you know, big and better equipment. But, um, the early on in the pandemic, um, Ben Gibbard of Death Cab for Cutie did a bunch of live streams that were just like in his music room. Then the sound wasn't great, and but it was just him with a guitar and a piano. And that's the type of thing that I really hope continues because that can reach places, you know, not everybody can, can have the time or the, the mm. wherewithal to go to these live shows. Yeah. And, Billy Joe Armstrong from Green Day was doing those yes. in the pandemic too. And that was, yeah. That was really cool. Um, mm-hmm. like, I don't know why I stopped watching those. And just kind of fell off. I think everybody kind of just got. I think we're all in a, a, a perpetual state of media overload. <laughs> yeah, my sense of time has been completely destroyed mm. <laughs> by this. Oh yeah, during, during earlier this spring, I reached a point where um, it was after I was I was lucky enough to get the the two shots pretty early on. Um, um, through my university, which was great. We actually turned our football field into a giant uh, vaccination clinic, which nice. was pretty cool. Good job. I was, I was getting my shots while I was looking out at the 50 yard line. Nice. Um, but, uh, the, um, because of that, I was able to go to, to my office on campus more often and just be around campus. And I reached a point where I was like, okay, I have to stop working at home when I can. Uh, cause it just, the barriers, collapsed yep oh yeah no and that's so i'm one of those people whose anxiety has allowed me to convince myself that i'm the cause of the pandemic because i had everything Mm. going great right before it it started i i finished physical therapy for my back i was running again Mm. uh the the mfa stuff was going well at the time it was an ma that was Mm. going was going great uh everything fine and then the universe was like, actually, you don't get to be happy. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like that, that mm-hmm. the days of trying to grade while my daughter is, is doing virtual first grade, mm-hmm. just the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it's so we, we helped get, we got ourselves through it in part uh, through um, a getting, we have three cats and we have three cats now. We got a third cat because I was like, well, I'm going to be this last June because I was like, I'm home all day. So I can take care of a kitten. Yeah, we did the and same so thing. That gave me something to do. The the beagle that we adopted, my wife and mm-hmm. I adopted when we moved to uh, Perrysburg, Ohio, where we lived. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I started my PhD at, at Bowling Green, um, our our first dog um, passed away this past June, mm-hmm. and that that also contributed to like yeah pandemic brain. And so we're like, well. We've had two. We've had two dogs for a long time, and I'm like, it's not fair to the other dog to look at her as like a time bomb. So let's mm-hmm. get some more dogs, and now we have yeah. three dogs here, and mm-hmm. it's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it's it's challenging. Um, uh, luckily, we just got the new the new house, or, so we're finally able to move out of apartment living, and so uh, they'll have more room to spread and not bother each other and us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That that jump from apartment life to, to home life, you're gonna love it. Just having room to breathe. I'm gonna the, the the one of the biggest things I'm looking forward to is um, whenever I practice. Um, I can practice too, but at home. But I I feel so bad for neighbors that I always use what's called a practice mute. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, somewhere in my office back there. Um, but the one I have doesn't fit my instrument very well, mm-hmm. so it kind of works, but it's kind of terrible. <laughs> but now I'm. And we're like on the corner too, so I can just 
play away. And I, I also play bass and, and guitar, especially bass, but mainly bass as the string instruments go. And so I can turn my amp up and I, um, and, and actually play instead of keeping it in headphones, which is yeah. going to be just a, a thrill. That's awesome. Your neighbors are going to be so happy to, to watch you. Yeah. <laughs> Have no problem getting people to help load up the truck, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Fighting to carry the tuba out. <laughs> yep. Oh, no, I, I keep that on campus. I, I don't even take it home anymore. I, oh. I only practice on campus for that. Okay. I also, I because I, I can't, I can't stop playing instruments. I also play bass trombone, which is a, a relic of the fact that I started on trombone. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one has a really good practice mute, so that one I can practice at home. Mm-hmm. But they're probably going to be excited to to not hear the acoustic guitar anymore. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm also bad at it, so they have to hear me playing bad chords yeah. all the time. And it's okay to be bad at it. Yes, it is. Uh, I I don't I don't care. I like playing it. It's fun. <laughs> That's awesome, Aaron. Mm. Well, I've taken up a lot of your time this afternoon. Okay. Um, yeah. It was great to great to talk with you. I look forward to to I'm going to I I specifically added your podcast to my subscriptions. And so it, it's been populated in there. So now what, once I get through this week and I like have time, I'm going to start listening. I'm going to listen through uh through your episodes. Um Nice. Yeah. And it's great to meet another BG alum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When were you there? Um, thirteen to tech. Well, my degree program is four years residence, so I was there from thirteen to seventeen, and then I got it in the summer of twenty nineteen. I had because I went from there to I, I worked two years in Nebraska mm-hmm. um, at a staff engineering position at a, a school there, and then I came here um, to Kentucky. Um, but yeah, 13 to 17, my wife got her undergrad together there and we met in Bowling Green, mm-hmm. um, at a yoga studio, which oh, is nice. Well, match.com slash yoga studio. We <laughs> saw each other on match.com and recognized each other from the yoga studio. <laughs> and then that was like our, our thing was yoga, but, um, yeah, she's a Toledo native. So oh, I'm nice. going to tell her she's going to be happy that North, Northwest Ohio. Yeah. My wife and I grew up in Southeast Michigan, maybe like. 45 minutes from Toledo. So essentially the same thing. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> on the other side. Yeah. And living, um, living in uh, rural Pennsylvania now, like when I was there, Toledo was just kind of like Toledo, right? Like it, mm-hmm. there's no knock against Toledo, but. Oh, they, they know it. They yeah. know it. <laughs> now driving back and going over, going over the river, going over the mommy. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like going through Paris. I swear. Yeah. Toledo feels enormous to me now after almost 10 yeah. years in, in Northeast Pennsylvania. And Toledo has really grown a lot. Like, Oh yeah. Uh, it's, there are actually, there's actual things to do in downtown Toledo now. Yeah. Yep. When I was in mm-hmm. Bowling Green, I had a student who was on the, I actually have still have one of their posters up in my basement of the, the glass city rollers. Uh, that, that is crazy. My wife was a ref for them or we're not ref. She was a, a official for them. Oh yeah. A non-skating official. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to tell her that cause she's, we have glass city rollers merch at home. Yep. I've got, I have one of their from a double header from June 4th, 2011. Up that would have been yeah a couple years before she yep. got involved, but yeah, that was um, <laughs> that was like our second or third date. Um, <laughs> I went and, and and we went and sat on the on the seats that are like on the rink. Yep, yeah, did that so yep. the, yeah, the crash zone. Yeah, my yeah. I had a student who was on, who skated for them for a little while, mm-hmm. um, and it was funny. Like she she came up to me after class 
I don't remember if it was like what class it was. It doesn't matter. And she was like, I think you would really enjoy this. So, mm-hmm. so come in, come and see. And so my wife and I are like, we've never done this before. This sounds cool. Let's go watch. And she wasn't, she wasn't the biggest person. Um, yeah. Like her and skates felt like a foot taller, but mm-hmm. she got wiped out. And that yeah. those, that first bout I saw like hard on that. And they were mm-hmm. skating and like, I'm just totally exposed concrete. And she, oh, yeah. she bit it. And I was like, I don't know what to do right now. Yeah. <laughs> she's, she's in my class. I feel a little bit responsible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's crazy. There's a, there's a team here. Um, I'm, of course, forgetting their name, but they, they went on right when the season was coming around. Um, I'm going to look that up real quick. Right when the season came around is when the pandemic hit. So they've been on hiatus. Um, but we, we really want to see them. Uh, yeah, just ro- it's rock roller derby of Central Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, roller derby is a blast. Oh yeah, no, I I have a friend who uh, who used to do announcing for them around mm-hmm. uh, like DC, Northern Virginia. Yeah, for a while, I knew somebody who was like pretty high up. Um, a friend who was pretty high up in like their administration. I'm mm-hmm. with, but yeah, it's it's a it's a really fun time mm-hmm. so for folks who are yeah. still listening now just to air and i make small yes. talk <laughs> support your local artists yes, absolutely local derby teams because they are punk as hell and it's so much fun and they're always just the most super inclusive group oh, yeah. of people you meet oh yeah like all all the criticisms that people rightfully lob at at other sports um professional in the ncaa like mm-hmm. you're not gonna see too much of that yeah like, it's, really. it's great so but I didn't expect to be talking about Ugacity Rollers today. So Of course. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, I'm going to say goodbye again. Thanks for, right. for coming. Yeah, thanks out. for having me. This is great. Hey, Andy Wilzak again. So I hope you enjoyed this week's show um, as much as we enjoyed putting it together. If you did, we would really appreciate it if you left us um, positive reviews, five-star ratings on iTunes and all the other podcast places that you can do this stuff. And more importantly, this show thrives on word of mouth. So we are doing this completely through social media. All of the guests that we've had are people that I found on Twitter. (laughs) So if you are untenured, and you are in any kind of academic discipline or you have an advanced degree and are working out in the field and you want an opportunity to come on the show and hype your stuff, um, please reach out. You can follow us on Twitter at UntenuredTracks or me at HeyDrWill. That's H-E-Y-D-R-W-I-L. Please send me a message on one or both accounts and we will book you on the show. It doesn't matter what your discipline is. I know that a lot of our previous interviews have been sociology and criminology based because that's my background, but I am open to anybody so again please rate and review the show tell your friends tell your people about this and i'll see you next week bye